0: Pastor Joy will be preaching out of Hebrews 13, starting in verse seven this morning. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for you are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of God. Please be seated.
1: Well, this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit different, and not just because I'm in a decongestant haze right now, though that might have something to do with it, uh, but because I'm just going to jump right in, and we're actually going to spend most of the morning uh, applying these verses. So, Hebrews 13, 7 through 19. If you've been with us in this study, you you realize we've gotten to this point where the author of Hebrews is giving us just bullet point, here's what you need to do. Here's what a life of worship looks like. He's given us these admonitions, these exhortations, these commands, do these things, except he can't resist the urge like most of us uh, to, to make a comment, here's what you need to do, and then he's a pastor, so he starts shifting into pastoral reassurance, and then, then he digs into theology for a while, and then he remembers what he was talking about, and he comes back out of that. Uh, so, we're going to go through all of that, but I'm only going to spend about the next five, six minutes in the text before we start applying it. So let's jump in. Verse 7, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith." Right away, He's calling us in this life of worship, which has ramifications for how we interact with our leaders, He's calling us to remember, think back to the leaders that we had had in the past, those who spoke the Word of God to us, those who first introduced us to Christianity, introduced us to Jesus. Remember those leaders, especially those leaders who you got to watch as they lived the entirety of their lives and eventually passed away. He says, remember those leaders, those ones that you can see the entire course of their life and how their faith impacted you and how it worked out in their lives. Remember them so that you can imitate their faith. He's the author assuming something fundamental about leadership and followership. He's assuming that we know who our leaders are. We know their stories. Uh, we've seen them up close and personal. We, we know who they are so that we can follow them. I was thinking back this last week on the person who, though he hasn't passed away, is no longer in my direct acquaintance. My youth pastor when I was growing up is now the senior pastor at a little Baptist church outside of Brainerd, Minnesota. And every couple of years I remember, man, Jake had such an impact on my life. I wouldn't be a pastor if it weren't for him. So I call him up or send him a note and say, thanks for what you did. But who is that for you? Who's the person that when the author of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, the ones who spoke to you, the Word of God, who's the person that comes to mind for you? Maybe they're still living and you can send them a note or some sort of thank you. Maybe they have passed away and it's the the, the person you can look at and see how their faith impacted the entirety of their lives. He's, He's telling them, remember those guys, those men and those women. If you've been around faith long enough, there are probably even people from within this congregation whose names uh, come to mind, Uh, guys like John Mitchell, guys like Jim Comer, Don and Joanne Fields. You know, we spent weeks in Hebrews 11 looking at the faith of Moses and the faith of Noah and the faith of Abraham and Enoch and all of these guys, and that's great, and we should do that, but I don't have any firsthand experience of how their faith worked out in their lives on a day-to-day basis, but I've seen Don, and I've seen Jim, and I've seen John, and I've seen how they lived their lives. I've seen how their faith impacted their lives. That's what he's telling us to do, remember. Remember. Remember your leaders who have gone on before. Now, he has more to say about leadership, and it comes in verses 17 and following, but he can't resist the urge because he's a pastor to stop and kind of assure the congregation a little bit. Remember your leaders. And verses 8 and following, I'm going to kind of paraphrase my way through this to show you what he's doing. Remember those who are your leaders who have gone before. But look, I know you have new leaders now. Keep in mind, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever no matter who your leader is jesus is the same so don't be led away by the strange and interesting teaching, teachings that come from wherever the heart is to be strengthened by grace let us approach the throne of grace with confidence because of jesus our great high priest our hearts should be strengthened by grace not by foods not by ceremonial foods not by the intricate orchestration of exactly what sacrifice happens when because that, even that doesn't directly benefit those that are devoted to that particular system. He's, he's thinking of the altar, and so he says, we have an altar, a sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, from which those who serve the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, the old system, they don't get to eat from the sacrifice that we have, because you don't, don't get to stay in both worlds. Then he makes an interesting theological point and historical point. Even the bodies of the animals whose blood was brought into the holy places and sprinkled to purify the place and the priests and the people, uh, those particular sacrifices, the Day of Atonement sacrifices, those animals were not consumed by the priests. So most of the other sacrifices, you know, they they would offer the sacrifice and the priest got a portion of the meat or the flour or the, the oil, whatever was being sacrificed, not the Day of Atonement one that one the body of the animal is taken outside the camp and it's burned and then he goes speaking of outside the camp jesus too verse 12 suffered outside the gates, outside the camp in order to do the same thing sanctify his people through his own blood we should go where jesus is outside the camp outside the gates Bear the exile that he received, being cast out. Bear the reproach, the stigma. Go with him. Look, you think about leaving the city behind you. That city's not your home anyway. It's not going to last. We're waiting for a city that is to come, and it's out there where Jesus is. Let's go where he is. So, verse 15 through him, then, through Jesus, we continually offer up a sacrifice. Don't think that we're done sacrificing just because we're not sacrificing animals anymore. We still offer up a sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, a poetic way of saying worship publicly, privately. Also, verse 16, we don't neglect to do good. That's one of the sacrifices that we we take on ourselves. We share what we have. These are the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And then he comes back to his point on leadership. Now, I know I'm skipping a lot in verses 8 through 16, and the main reason is it's all in chapters 1 through 12. He's just recapping a lot of what he already talked about because I want to zero in on these leadership verses this week, on remembering our leaders in verse 7, and in verse 17, obeying our leaders and submitting to them. See, verse 17 when he comes back around to his topic, says, okay, now consider the leaders you have now, right? Remember the ones you had before, and Jesus is the same. They're doing the same thing. Consider the leaders you have now. Obey them. Submit to them. Those, I think for us particularly, our kind of cultural time and place, those are hard words. Few of us are looking consciously for somebody to obey, somebody to follow, somebody to submit to. Most of us want to be the guy who's in charge. One of our uh, friends from seminary days came through town last night, spent a a, a couple hours with us, and stayed overnight. And as I I got to know him through a organization called Spiritual Formation, it was a requirement in seminary, everybody had to go through four semesters of a spiritual formation group. And uh, when they announced the five, we were just assigned, you didn't get to choose, when they announced the five couples that were in this group, and that none of them had yet stepped up to be the leader, I told Jenna, I would rather be the bad leader than be under the bad leader. So I went and volunteered to run this thing. And who knows how well I did, but we stayed connected with them, and so Josh got to come through town the other day. Most of us would rather be the bad leader than be underneath one. So when we look at verses like obey your leaders and submit to them, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind. Number one, we're doing it for a reason, which he outlines, but number two... We're also doing it because we know them. We know who our leaders are, we love our leaders, and that's why we follow them. Now look again at verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, why? Well, because they are keeping watch over your souls. The idea of keeping watch comes from a word meaning losing sleep. They are losing sleep over you because they have to give an account now this is one of the heaviest verses for church leaders to consider, especially primary leaders and kind of how we've organized it in what we understand is the biblical sense of having elders. Uh, elders have to give an account. We'll one day have to stand before God and give a justification for you and for your souls, for what you learned, for how you developed, for how you grew, if you finish the race that Hebrews calls us to. So to be an elder is to take on a burden. We know it's a burden because the author here says, uh, if we aren't very nice to our elders, we can make it even more of a burden than it is already where they, they have to groan underneath it. But elders are those leaders who take on this burden and say, I will be accountable to God for you. Now, that's a heavy thing for the elders, but it's a heavy thing for the rest of us too to understand that those that are in charge are accountable for us. And for us to willingly, even joyfully, obey, submit, remember, consider them and who they are, I think it's fundamental that we know who our elders are. We're actually gonna take the rest of the time this morning to walk through every single one of our elders. I want to tell you how much they've impacted me because I will follow these guys anywhere. I've been in the room with them when they've wrestled, when they've prayed, when they've made hard decisions, when they've done the right thing even when it cost. And because I know who they are and what their character is like, I mean, I'm willing to go anywhere. Now, they don't know that I'm about to do this, talk about each of them one at a time, or at least they don't know unless the elders in the first hour if they, I told them not to tell, so hopefully this is still a surprise to all of them. But just yesterday morning, I was sitting in a room with these guys, with all of these elders, as we were going through our membership lists, those who are formerly members at Faith, and we were going through and, and literally choosing who each elder got to, to have in kind of their smaller sort of mini flock to uh, connect with over the summer, get to know a little more uh, informally, more personally, and be an avenue of care and connection, a place to raise questions and concerns and, and things like that. And each of these guys, as they, as they looked at their list and they considered the, the people that God was calling them to directly shepherd on a, on a one-on-one level, uh, I could tell in the room each of them was feeling the burden of being accountable for you and if they feel that, it's only fair on us, on the rest of us in the congregation, uh, to do what he says here in verse 17, to, to obey and submit to them and let it, so that they can do that with joy. They can give account with joy. They can lead us with joy and not with groaning because, look, that's not, it's no good to them or to us. So, in a church our size and with an elder structure like we have, most of you probably couldn't name all 23 elders, I know I couldn't without looking at the list. I can't even name all of my aunts and uncles because my dad's the second of 11, so I always forget one or two of them. Uh, so I want to go through the whole list, put the picture up on the screen of all of these guys. And as you're looking at that, um, let me just explain how we're, how we're arranged a little bit. We have 23 sort of elders at large. I'm not sure what to call, the, what to call them, but the broader elder group, It's 23 guys that you yourselves have nominated and and elected into this position. And these guys are responsible for direct care. They, They basically put themselves in all the networks that they can in order to know as many people as possible to pray for you, to care for you, to be accessible and open to you. A smaller group of just seven, myself and Pastor Jeff, and then five of those guys on the screen, they've got the blue flags there serve on the elder executive board. That's the group of seven that get together every two weeks or twice a month to do kind of the high-level leadership decision-making stuff. So, 23 guys, each one who has impacted me in a specific way, and I want to tell you about it. I'm going to try to be fair in my praise, make sure everybody gets the same number of words, but I'll I'll admit I'm biased. Some of these guys I've worked with more closely on the EEB or in student ministry or on mission trips and things like that, so I may end up being a little more loquacious about some of these guys than uh, than they deserve. But uh, we're gonna do this alphabetically, no order of preference. Uh, If you are a guest with us, this is not typically how a Sunday morning goes, but we're gonna apply Hebrews 13 right now, starting with Jonathan Baker. Jonathan Baker was one of the first guys that I met, one of the first people I met from faith. He was not an elder at the time, but was serving on the search committee looking for a pastor of student ministry, which is how I got my foot in the door here. And uh, he has this unique ability of not just being a strong leader, but of also coming behind other leaders and really pushing them forward through his support. Uh, He and his wife and their family have become some of our family's closest friends, and so we've done a ton of things together. He's impacted me in so many ways, but one Among many of the stories that just stick out to me, when I was moving into this um, co-leadership position here at Faith, uh, Baker took me out to dinner, and he sat across the table, and he he gave me some hard and some strong words that I needed to hear. He said, you're going to do some things right, and people are going to love you for it. Don't let it go to your head. You're going to do some things wrong and you're gonna hurt people, but that's all right. I will be here, and your elders will be here, and will be behind you. It was a huge encouragement to me because this felt like jumping off a cliff and I had no idea what I was getting into, but Jonathan promised to be there, and he's remained faithful to that, so thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Bob Blonick is next. Um, If you haven't met Bob, just look for the big guy walking through the crowd with his chest out, like plowing a path. Of all the elders, Bob is the guy that just exudes leadership. Shortly after I was hired here at Faith, he came on as our pastor of adult ministry and appointed himself as my pastoral mentor from day one. I always knew I was in for a lesson when he walked into my office and started with the same two words, same two words every time. Young man young man, you're gonna learn in ministry, sometimes dot, 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 and he was always right. Most of the time I smiled and then ignored him and had to learn it the hard way myself. Sometimes I listened and actually learned. He was always right and always incredibly supportive. Now, you may think he's got kind of a gruff exterior and and it's because he needs to shave more often, but uh, underneath that is this teddy bear, just heart of gold. Uh, I have been in the room when Bob has just been weeping openly over the pain and the sin and the burdens of this body of believers. He passionately loves everybody that God brings his way and everyone to whom God has entrusted. So thanks, Bob. Lee Christensen. Lee's part of our missions family, and if you want to dream about what missions could look like in the future, Lee is the guy you want in the room. He's part of pioneering a, a cutting-edge, super-efficient Bible translation, Scripture translation uh, project, and takes his expertise just around the world. Uh, Lee is, is constantly speaking into this area, into that area, as part of Wycliffe Bible Translator's kind of research and development arm, uh, but you would never know it just to talk to him. Uh, he, he's... Humble, smiling, likable, happy to serve, and you have to pull out of him in order to find out uh, exactly how much of a profound impact he is making on scripture translation around the world. Lee, thank you for your humility and how you lead. Brian Clark is next. Uh, all of these guys up here have a passion for missions, but Brian kicks it up a notch. I've been consistently impacted by him and his wife, Renita. Renita and I served together on the global outreach team and especially watched as they have cultivated long-term and ongoing relationships with missionaries and with uh, institutions, our strategic partners around the world. Uh, Watching them teaches me and has taught me multiple times that the best and the longest lasting kingdom work usually doesn't happen in an instant. It happens when you develop a relationship, when you get to know people, when you love one another, you meet needs, you care, you extend grace, and you continue to grow a relationship. That's what Brian and Renita have taught me, and that's what they model for all of us elders. So, Brian, thank you. Denny Dawes is next. Denny served uh, previously as the chair of the Elder Executive Board in the very first EEB meeting that I went to. I was, a, you know, a, like a 27-year-old wet-behind-the-ears pastor and just scared of these guys, and especially this chairman who was more than twice my age and way more than 10 times my maturity level. I mean, he leads, he leads professionally at a level I will never achieve And the EEB was discussing something, some concern, some issue that we need to decide what we're going to do on. And Denny asked me what I thought. And he actually was interested in the answer, my answer to his question, which continues to floor me. I knew nothing at the time and know still very little now. Why would he care what my opinion is on this particular issue? But Denny has always... always lived under this mindset or at least exuded for us this mindset of you don't just teach down and learn from those above. It goes both directions. And so as the chair of the EB and the elders, uh, and now as one of our elders at large, uh, he continues to remind all of us to keep learning from one another, even the fresh green right out of seminary guys who really don't know anything. So thanks, Denny. Joe Fitzgerald. I haven't gotten to know Joe as well as I would like uh, because he's been faithfully taking care of his dear wife, Nell, uh, putting all of his energy into caring for her over the last decade and all of her uh, medical issues. Uh, But I do know if there's anyone that I want to sit next to when they're praying, it's Joe. His intimacy with God, his communion with God, the way that comes through and how he prays uh, it humbles me, it, it encourages me, I want to know God like Joe does. I think if there's any of the elders to whom the word saint rightly applies, it's, it's Joe. So thanks, Joe. You'll hear this next week on the podcast. Terry, Terry Fleck. Uh, Terry brings this really interesting blend of pastoral care and strategic, uh, strategic leadership. Constantly asking these different questions, balancing these two, sometimes opposite poles. Uh, with his job, he's on the road a lot, so he usually ends up calling in to our Elder Executive Board meetings, which has turned out to be pretty providential, because the rest of us in the room will hash a thing around, we'll talk an issue over, I usually talk too much, and, and there's all this stuff that happens, and, and we don't really, we get somewhere, but maybe not all the way there, and there'll be a pause, and someone will say, hey, Terry, any thoughts? And he'll click back in, and just drop this super crystallized, fully formed understanding of the problem, the solution, what we need to do. It's incredible. He does it every single time. Um, I think it's almost to the point where we should just stop having meetings and ask Terry what to do. Uh, So thank you, Terry. (laughs) Scott Freeman, Scott's obviously the best looking and most in shape of the group, Uh, always shows up to our 7 a.m. meetings already in his athletic gear. Uh, He's been the longtime leader of men of faith uh, because he he carries this deep passion for connecting men to one another, for giving us the other guy you can call at three o'clock in the morning when life is just not working out right, for having that person you can talk to. Uh, But he's also been the guy who's kind of lit a fire under all of us to keep shepherding, keep caring, leading, feeding for the flock that God has entrusted to the elders. Uh, So, Scott, I would say thank you for continuing to ask us, are we doing it? How are we doing it? How do we do it better? Scott, thanks. Phil Johnston. Phil is usually in uh, the first service standing right here leading us in worship uh, because he brings just such a deep desire to see the people of God continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Phil puts a ton of work each week into what we're doing in worship. He's, he's got this uh, deep well of traditional worship experience from, uh, I mean, he could, he's going to next year teach a class on hymnology throughout the history of the church and where all these hymns come from. And today, even beforehand, he's playing, a, he's starting to rehearse, and he's like, do you know this tune? This comes from Gustav Holtz, and this and this and that, and I actually did know that one, so I felt pretty good. But um, Phil... He, he reminds me that the, the word liturgy means the work of the people, and He works so that we can worship. So, Phil, thanks. Uh, David Kenley is next. David is one of those behind-the-scenes guys. Um, Never all that comfortable to get pushed out in front, though every time we force him to get on stage, he does a great job. We love it. Uh, but he, he's more content uh, serving as he did for a number of years as the secretary of the elder executive board. He'd rather be behind the scenes. And, and how David has impacted me, he continually shows again and, and again that sometimes the best leaders aren't out in front. They're just in front. David's the guy behind us doing the work, picking up the pieces, doing the stuff uh, that that makes those of us out in front not look like complete idiots. Uh, Because David is just faithfully serving behind the scenes consistently, week after week, year after year, pouring his heart into the church. So, David, thanks. Nathan Kingsley, you can't teach humility. So, it's a good thing that Nathan already has it, that's what one of my mentors said to me after he met Nathan for the first time, and I agree. Nathan's been our pastor of student ministry for almost a year now. Um, just a heads up his one year work anniversary is June 15th. If you were just holding on to some gift you weren't sure who to give it to, that's who it's for. June 15th in two weeks is his one year anniversary. Uh, and every week, I'm more confident that God knew exactly what he was doing when he brought Nathan to us. He's incredibly gifted as a communicator. He's relational in a way I don't have words for because I don't understand it. And having committed to the flock here at Faith, like Nathan and his wife Claire have just jumped all in and love extravagantly Uh, It's incredible to watch, to watch uh, how Nathan is growing and developing uh, um, in his ministry, shepherding students, and learning what it means to be a pastor. So I'm thankful he's joined our staff, and as a pastor, has joined our our elder team. I know what it feels like to be the only elder under 30 uh, and wonder why they call you an elder, because you're not all that eld. Um, But I'm thankful that Nathan's part of our team, and and more than that, that they've become uh, close friends. So thanks, Nathan. Doug Leatherman. If I had to describe Doug in two words, it would just be quiet faithfulness. Doug's not a flashy guy. He doesn't try to stand out. He doesn't try to make sure everybody knows that, hey, I'm here and I'm serving. He just shows up and he does what he said he was going to do. It was a work day a couple of weekends ago, and most of the team worked two, three hours, and Doug stayed for seven because there was more work to be done. And then I love getting to watch as Doug infuses that into a, his kids and his son, uh, Jared, who's gone with us on some mission trips and now leads some of our mission trips, He's part of those leadership teams. Uh, Doug's a guy, you don't need him to sit down and tell you, here's what you should do, here's how you should be. You just watch him, and you get to see what it's like, which has had a huge impact on me, so thanks, Doug. Tom Macy, Um, I don't have enough time or words to describe what Tom has meant to me, and most of you could take a whole hour saying similar things, but you can't serve with Tom for very long without realizing there are some things that he holds so tightly that nothing can dissuade him from those values. Love God. There is nothing higher than that. Love your people. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. And one particular lesson I remember Tom teaching me as I was struggling with a a relationship with someone, he said, look, every person is a point in time. They're all going somewhere, just like you. If you think you can grow, you need to give them the right to grow as well. I'm like, dang it, Tom. (laughs) It's a lot easier just to be mad at them and assume they'll never change. So Tom, more than anyone I know, exemplifies the biblical language of shepherd, Uh, of somebody who models his ministry off of the great shepherd, who will give his life for the sheep. Tom, there's more words. There should be a lot more words, and someday when you retire, I'll preach a whole sermon about you, and you'll be forced to sit through it. (laughs) Greg Needham. Greg is a self-proclaimed pot stirrer. Always reading, always collecting information, articles, blog posts, podcasts, and sending them on to the people who need to hear them. Not a week goes by that I don't get an email from Greg with, hey, check this out, just stirring the pot. (laughs) And Greg just exemplifies uh, being a constant learner, Uh, never saying, you know what, I haven't arrived yet. Even later this week, he's going to, I convinced him to sign up for a workshop uh, to learn more about how to communicate, how to preach, how to teach Scripture. It's like, okay, he's retired, but he's like, you know what? There's more I need to do to serve this church. It's such a great example, so thank you, Greg. Uh, Larry Reed, no one on, well, just no one, I'll just make a blanket statement. No one has a quicker or more infectious smile than Larry. But if you know Larry and his wife Bev, or you heard their faith story last summer when they shared, you know there's, there's deep heartache and heartbreak and pain underneath that smile. But it's not a fake smile, it's the joy of the Spirit coming through in His countenance. Uh, because I think more than anyone else I know, he's, he, he can echo with Paul, I have learned in all things to be content. Say, I have God, and that's enough. Every time I meet with Larry to Uh, plan a prayer event or do something else, uh, evaluate things we've done, call the church to prayer. I I always come away with it just wishing to be uh, half as content with my life as Larry is. He makes a huge impact on me, so thanks, Larry. Fred Rescorla, you know, sometimes the best way to grow is to face uncomfortable questions, wrestle through to the answer, and then do something about it. Fred is the guy on the elder executive board who is constantly raising the uncomfortable questions. Uh, Maybe it's his experience as a surgeon, talking to, uh, you know, giving news, bad news and good news to patients and to their loved ones, but every time he asks a question, you can tell, because he kind of turns his head a little, it's, it's diagnostic in nature. What's really going on here? And so he asks the questions that make the rest of us squirm. And I love it because more than anyone else, Fred deals in reality. Here's the way things are. Now, what are we going to do about that? He's the one reminding us on the EEB uh, that hope's not a strategy. You can just hope it's going to get better. We need to do something with what God has given us. Uh, and so, Fred k- keeps encouraging us, let's, let's face what's really going on, let's tackle it head on, and let's go where God's calling us. Uh, so, thanks, Fred. Uh, Jerry Risser, you know, there are some leaders who uh, will sit in a room of other leaders and kind of look around and be like, yeah, I belong here. Uh, but Jerry always sits in the room, and he looks around, and he goes, do they know that I'm in here? <laughs> which is an amazing attitude, and I love it. It, it. He brings it to everything he leads, and, and which is why he's such a great leader. Uh, he just has this ability to bring together disparate groups of people, identify what each is good at and, and gifted at, and get them to go do those things. I love it. I was part of a team that Jerry led going to a Kiev Theological Seminary a year and a half or so ago. It's the one time I've been part of a trip that Jerry was in charge of, but I will follow him anywhere. He's that kind of leader, so thank you, Jerry. Nathan Ross. You know, uh, we all have a burden to pass on the faith to the next generation, but Nathan particularly puts that burden into practice. You know, when you think of elders, you think of students, starchy old guys in a room but nathan's usually wearing a weird hat and he's down with the third fourth and fifth graders in awana because uh, that's where he loves to be uh, making sure that our kids are loved they're cared for they're learning scripture they're encountering god uh, at one point in the past when I was serving as a student ministry pastor, uh, I started recruiting his leaders to come into student ministry. Like, hey, you were with these kids in fifth grade. Why don't you follow them up into sixth grade and join student ministry? And Nathan could have been uh, offended by that and like, come on, these are my volunteers. Instead, he went, you know, if, if these kids are going to have the same person carrying them for year after year after year, that's awesome. And I get to recruit new leaders and raise them up. All right, it's, it's that attitude that that uh, brings Awana and the kids ministry just up to just such a phenomenal level. So thank you, Nathan. Jeff Schultz. So Jeff also serves as a co-lead pastor. He and I are compatriots in this endeavor. And like Tom, I don't have enough words for Jeff. I've been working side by side with him for the last two and a half years, together sharing uh, the burden that is caring for and being accountable for Uh, the souls that God has sent to us for you all. Uh, Spending time with him, leading together, praying together, struggling together has been one of the the greatest blessings and the biggest challenges in my life. Jeff brings such a pastoral heart, uh, a capacity for care uh, to ministry that it, it it doesn't make sense to me, it's leagues outside of what I'm capable of. He is profoundly capable of loving every single person in a way that would probably crush me if I tried it. And it almost crushes him. I've, I've seen him under the weight of it with his shoulders on the ground uh, because he loves each of us so deeply and so much. Uh, again, there's a lot more I could say about Jeff, but that's the time I have for now, so thanks, Jeff. Uh, Tom Waltz, uh, Tom has been a huge part of my life and a mentor from the very beginning. I, I nominated him for a mentoring award this last year, and he was a finalist, didn't win, but still the best in my book. Um, so I cribbed a little bit of this from the letter that I wrote to them nominating Tom for my first five years at Faith, he carved out every other week, Friday morning, breakfast. It was just a standing appointment on the calendar. And he assigned me stuff to read, and we processed together struggles I was facing as a young pastor. He uh, encouraged me from his own successes and failures as a pastor in the past. Uh, He showed me or helped me understand what it meant to be a young pastor, a young father, a, a young husband. And then I've seen his quiet leadership style in action over the last nine years. He's rarely the first person to jump in with an opinion. He is the first person to jump in with a joke, but not, not with an opinion. Um, he never, never gets emotionally out of whack. He he's, he's never, never has to raise his voice. And he so carefully thinks about exactly what he's going to say and when he's going to say it that when Tom talks, everyone listens. Now, with Tom behind you, you know you can do just about anything, you can go just about anywhere, because he, he loves you and challenges you and cares for you more than you love and care and challenge yourself. So we can do anything. And if anything doesn't work, that's all right. He'll be there at breakfast on Friday and we'll talk about what we learned and, and we'll try again, so thank you, Tom. Mark West. Uh, I got to know Mark West first as a volunteer in student ministry, though now he serves as the chair of our Elder Executive Board and of the elders. So we spent a lot of time together on mission trips, serving on Sundays and and Wednesdays. He is an incredibly busy, high-functioning leader uh, who is not content to dictate from the sidelines. Mark is not the guy out in the back or on the side saying, do this, do that. He is in there, even with a new job and serving as the chair of the EB. He's part of the student ministry, still a vital part of uh, shepherding high school guys. There was a student who told me once a couple of years ago, he's like, do you know that Mark calls me every week? He's got way better things to do with his time than call me. But that kind of compassion and care just keeps coming through. No matter how high a level of leadership Mark attains, it's still about being with the people and being with his kids and with his guys. So thank you, Mark. Uh, The next one is me. So we're just going to skip that and go on to Mike Zumbrin. Uh, Mike, almost from day one, Mike was the guy bringing me questions. Uh, How do we get students into missions? And then as I stepped into this co-lead role, it was, how do we get everyone into missions? And Mike and his wife Dawn have uh, gotten really connected within the congregation, within the body, but are constantly encouraging us to look outside of ourselves and beyond our walls. Who should we be reaching? And they open their home constantly to uh, uh, international students to spend time there. Uh, Mike has taught me that we don't have to do everything but we can all do something. We can all do some little thing uh, to extend the mission of the gospel around the world. So thanks, Mike. These are the elders. These are the guys who have stood up and said, I will be publicly, personally, spiritually accountable for you. And of course, there are a ton of other leaders at faith. i mean, I'm not even talking about the deacons or the staff, uh, the directors in different ministries that we have, all of the volunteers. Uh, but these guys are the ones who have said, looking at Hebrews 13, I will give an account. So I think it's appropriate if we take a minute, and I'm going to make all the elders stand up uh, so that we can see you, not just see your faces on the screen, but see you in person and express our gratitude. So guys, on your feet. Thank you. We can't follow our leaders. We don't know who they are. So I know this wasn't a typical sermon and I spent a lot of time just introducing you to these guys but I will follow them anywhere because I know them. I know what, what kind of character they have. I know how God has shaped them. I know how God is using them to lead. So what's our responsibility as a congregation? Well, it's here in verse 17. Obey, submit. Verse 18, pray. These are the guys who we look at them and we see positions of authority and positions of power and maybe even positions of status And all they feel is the weight of responsibility, the weight of being responsible for us. So let's follow and obey and pray for and love and care about and get to know these men who are standing in front of us before God and saying, I'll be accountable for them. And let's not make it a burden for them. We want them to do it with joy. It's, that's what's good for them and good for us. After the service, you head down the stairs. There's a station off to the left, a couple of stations where there's cards, a list of the names of all the elders. Take a minute and, and just write a note to one or two of the guys. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, write a note to somebody you don't know. Be like, I don't know you, but thanks. Uh, if you're an overachiever, write a note to all 23. They would love it. Uh, there's plenty of time. Uh, but let's know these guys, love these guys, so that when we read something like, obey your leaders and submit to them, it's not a burden, it's a joy because of who they are. Pray with me. Father, You have gifted us with uh, a group of elders, pastors, staff other ministry leaders and volunteers, men and women, who labor for our souls. I know we're fed from many different places, from books and podcasts and articles and places online, but these are the guys who will get in a room and they will weep over us. They will labor in prayer before you to bring us back from the edge of the sin that we've fallen into to, to bring us to repentance, to bring us back to the joy of knowing Christ. We have it so good here, Lord, that um, we don't realize how, how bad it can be at some places. So give us gratitude and thankfulness uh, for these, our leaders. Help us to remember, submit, obey with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.